heard a lot about this uh, show, the ex-candidates. This has been a pretty thorough interview. These institutions which we've been told to respect and trust are actually completely untrustworthy. Have you confirmed that you are negative before attending tonight if you are unvaccinated? I still see people with masks on and driving and they're in the car by themselves. So you can pay my electricity bill, you think, that was spared. We're teaching them about what it means to be a pansexual instead of teaching them how to do your taxes. It's no for me. I say no to the boys. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ex-Candidates. My name is Stephen Tripp and as always, I'm joined by Adam Zara, the One Nation candidate for Campbelltown. How are you today, Adam? I'm pretty good, Stephen. How are you going? I'm pretty good, thank you very much. And on tonight's episode, we have Mark Watson, the One Nation candidate for Port Stephens. How are you tonight, Mark? Yeah, very well, thanks. G'day, Mark. How are you going? Good, Adam. Yeah, that's good. I've been busy. I heard you've been busy uh, campaigning all day today. Mate. I'm always busy. I can't keep up. Um, There's such a huge groundswell there of uh, supporters coming forward, putting signs out, uh, letterbox dropping and uh, meetings to attend. Um, it's just never-ending. It's fantastic. It's, uh, it's great to see and it's great to be involved with it. Awesome. Can you, can you just give us a brief description of Port Stephens? Like what, what's the area that, that it covers? Yeah, so Port Stephens has actually changed in its boundaries, uh, which has kind of shaken up the uh, electoral uh, landscape, uh, so to speak. Uh, so we, we now stand from Tea Gardens uh, out to Karua, down to Seaham, out to Tomago, uh, near the uh, near the Raft base there, and then uh, out to out to the bay, which encompasses uh, Fingal Bay, Nelson Bay around there, which is where I live. And uh, in between there, we've got uh, Lemon Tree Passage and uh, Medowie and Raymond Terrace in there. So it's quite a large electorate. Uh, there's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we have um, just over 55,000 uh, registered voters and uh, 1,300,000 uh, uh, square kilometres there to cover. Uh, so, you know, we've got a fair bit of ground to cover. We do require volunteers. So anyone watching this, uh, if you're available, uh, we need you to put your hand up for pre-poll and polling day. Uh, the reality is we have a real chance to make a difference here on the ground. Uh, we've got good policies. We've got a good leader in the in the likes of Mark Latham. And um, to back him up, we've got Tanya Mihalik there and we've got a good upper house card. So we, we've got a real opportunity to, to make a difference here on the ground. And, uh, you know, it's a marginal seat here in Port Stephens. Uh, Kane only holds it by 5.8%. Uh, the Liberals committed to, to saying that they care about this electorate and that they'll do everything they can for this electorate. And we're six weeks out and they still haven't shown their head. Uh, but One Nation's here and, uh, you know, in every corner I'm putting my signs up and I'm out there and I'm taking the flight to them. So I care for the people. I care for the people of Port Stephens and uh, our, our policies reflect that. You've just given us a background of the area. Can you give us a background of yourself now? What motivated – because you ran – the first time as a federal candidate in the last election for Newcastle. Now you're running in the state campaign. Um, yeah, the way the way I look at it is, um, you know, the federal campaign was just more of a, a, a teaser, you could say. It was an introduction into politics. And, um, you know, we, we learned the hard way, as you fellas know. It wasn't easy. It's was quite yeah. difficult. Um, but now, yeah, we're backed up by strong, strong policies at state. Uh, we've got the network. We've got the support there. Uh, so my background is uh, I was a chef. Um, for, for nearly 19 years um, and since then I've, I've moved into a different industry it's a bit of, bit of sales to involve it's still around, uh, around hospitality um, to the meat industry 
and um, a few dry goods and bits and pieces. Um, so still involved in small business in the area, and I do get out there and I do get to talk to a lot of people. Uh, what, what's my driving factor for politics? Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, I've got a young daughter, uh, seven years old, and, um, you know, I'm worried about her future. I'm worried about the education. You know, New South Wales has some of the fastest falling education results in the world. Mm. Um, you know, I'm worried about turning the lights on. I'm worried about paying the bills. I'm worried about the mortgage. Um, you know, they, these are all things that your, your everyday battler struggles with. And uh, that's why I'm out there and that's why I'm fighting for it. Yeah, and you, you mentioned um, a minute ago as well, like how strong the policies actually are. So obviously, you know, I'm running in my electorate of Campbelltown as well, and I was also impressed with the um, the policies. So they're policies that you can actually really stand with or, you know, they back you up. So they're um, in-depth, they're well thought out, but they're common sense. And anyone who has a strain of common sense would think, mm. well, how could you go against um, that kind of policy? Because it's not air, airy-fairy, in the pie-in-the-sky dreaming. It's actually like getting things done. Well, you know, like like you, Adam, and uh, like you, Stephen, um, I've, I've got a young family there, and a lot of these policies really uh, resonate with me. And when you're out there talking to people, you can actually engage with them on the same level uh, that you're on. You know, we're everyday battlers. Um, you know, we're not career politicians. Uh, we're not millionaires. Um, we're, we're out there working your daily job trying to support our family. So every... Every aspect, like every struggle that um, the people that we talk to, every struggle that they have, we're going through as well. Yep. So one thing I found is, you know, I'm I'm an ear to, to these people that they can voice their concerns and I will go out there and I will voice their concerns for them and quite loudly. Uh, and our policies back that up. Um, a, a lot of our policies actually are targeted towards the everyday battler and uh, I think the major parties... Um, that they they have forgotten the everyday person. They don't quite understand the pressures that they are under. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that totally. They keep trying to outleft each other. To be honest, they're always exactly. trying to like you know let's go greener. Well, I'm going to go this renewable, and then um, the opposition will go. Well, I'm going to go this renewable, and then it's this renewable, and then as they're doing as they're going this way with renew renewables, um, our prices for electricity and energy start going like this, because all of a sudden we well, have to keep paying for everything. Like I explained in this meeting today to a, a bunch of concerned uh, citizens in Madawi, is that uh, Liberal and Labor are pretty much voting along the same path. So there's no clear opposition. There's no Labor versus Liberal, Liberal versus Labor. That does not exist mm. anymore. They both go down the same path. So if they want to pass a piece of legislation, they will pass it. There is no opposition there raising concerns, raising questions, you know, and, and putting the hard hard question to them. And the, and the point that I make at the moment is people need to ask this question. How will they pay for it? This state is $182 billion in debt, and who's going to pay for it? My grandchildren. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's right. And you brought up Mark Latham and leadership mm. before. I just want to bring up this. I've, I've seen this floating around. I think it's fantastic because it shows both leaders. It's got Dominic Perrette and, uh, and Minz on there. But you can just tell that Mark Latham is just a clear-cut class above them and a, and a clear alternative than, than Liberal and Labor. It just goes to show that with leadership like Mark Latham, now we have Tanya Mihalik on board, uh, we've got a great upper house team, but we've also got 
fantastic lower house candidates like yourself, like Adam, like Rebecca Thompson and, and Quinton King and a whole bunch of others, uh, MK Singh, who I uh, helped out in Parramatta yesterday. It, we are the alternative and if in really people should be taking One Nation seriously, especially when they look at our policies. Well, with our policies, people can take us seriously. Um, we're, we're out there, we're for the everyday uh, worker and like I was saying, the hard question that we need to pose to pe uh, uh, put to people is how are they going to pay for it? So right now there's a lot of empty promises being thrown around and we yeah. see this at election time, uh, you know, every election time we see these empty promises being thrown around. The reality is the state is in huge debt. The reality is you've got net zero agenda being pushed. Uh, when we're going to have rolling blackouts in 25-26 from documents obtained in the upper house. People are going to struggle to pay their power bills. We've got inflation. We've got interest rates going up. So cost of living pressures are high. We've got people struggling to maintain their jobs or even uh, have the job opportunities there. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're planning on putting windmills off the coast of Port Stephens in Newcastle uh, yeah. with the intention of having them power Tomgo's smelter. Now, I'm not sure if anyone realises how much power that, that smelter actually draws from the state. It's enormous. Now, you fellows were at the Energy Summit, um, you know, less, uh, just over a week ago. So you fellows are quite, quite aware of, you know, some of the stuff that goes on with this net zero push. It's just quite damaging. And what, what these politicians don't understand is it, it trickles down. So at the end of the day, the people that pay for it are the people like you and me. Yeah. You know, I can't afford to put solar panels on my house. I can't afford to have a battery system. I can't afford to drive an electric vehicle. You know, electric vehicle's not going to serve me while driving around Port Stephens. It takes two hours to go from one corner to the other. Yeah. You know, electric vehicle is just not going to cut it. But I yep. can't afford to have that electric vehicle. Right now I drive a diesel vehicle and I'm about to be taxed more for it. So your yeah. everyday battler is going to be worse off for it. I'm worried about putting food on the table, roof over my head, making sure I have a job. And the same goes for all the people in my electorate. Absolutely. Now you've brought up that the you brought up the actual the deficit that New South Wales has, $182 billion, okay? So in um in layman terms, that works out to around about two, uh, $22,750 per person living in New South Wales. So that means every man, woman and child um, has that debt to their name. So now we know that under under having – we don't – not everyone works. Not everyone's paying their taxes, so, right? So you've got, you've got – we've got children, we've got um, the elderly who are retired and things like that. So basically – the, the working class, the people, the, 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 the people who are working, paying their taxes, are wearing the brunt of that, that debt, okay? So yeah. I don't know about you, but I probably couldn't go out to the bank and get a $22,750 loan right at this point in time, um, you know? So, I, so that, that, that blows um, an electric vehicle out of the, out of the, out of the equation because even with all the subsidies and stuff that you get and whatever it is, um, there's, you know, they're 50, 60 grand or something like that for a, for a Tesla and then all the other um, homemade brands that are doing their uh, little electric cars, you'd want them anyway. Um, but, that, like we, we talk about how expensive they are, but they're impractical as well. Yeah. I, I don't know where um, you live, Mark, but I live in a two-bedroom unit with my wife. If we, we obviously have to have two cars, so 
you might be able to charge one in the car park downstairs, but we live on a main road. You have to park the other car miles away. So how are you going to charge that at the end of the night? It's just impractical. Well, it makes no well, you can, you, it's just impractical. Well, you it's can okay connect a couple of extension links together. Well, just it's okay if you've got a big mansion and you can you put three or four cars in your driveway and charge them all overnight. That works fine. But if for, for everyday people, the people that you're speaking of, Mark, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And, and these are questions that are not being asked and they they're obviously haven't been thought through. If you look at the MBN and how long it took for the MBN to be constructed and, and <laughs> it's still not working. Well, they reckon it's already obsolete because of 5G. Well, yeah. Well, the, real, the reality is, um, you know, the constituents of, of Port Stephens, and you'll probably find across the majority of the state, uh, they're, they're not worried about an electric vehicle. They're worried about coming home from work, turning the lights on, making sure that they can turn the aircon on on a hot day. You know, little, little granny's worried about turning the lights on and turning the aircon on. She's not worried about an electric vehicle. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's why these politicians are so far um, out of touch. Uh, with everyone in their elections, so uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring you back there, Adam. With, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the debt there of uh, twenty-two thousand dollars per per citizen within New South Wales. Well, you know, I'll bring that back to my lecture where I've got Kate Washington that wants to build a school in Medowie. Um Now, according to the census data, there's only thirteen hundred and sixteen people increased between the census uh, input. Now, if you look at it like that and you look at the school aged children that entering into a high school um mind you she wants to build a public high school um the, the numbers just do not add up so she wants to splash 55 million dollars on this school but that's not the issue the issue lies in the transport company so we've got children on the side of the street trying to catch a bus to get to their school but the buses are not getting the children to the school so i pledge that we will double the amount of buses throughout the whole network of Port Stephens to make sure that our children get to the already established network of schools. Yeah. So that's something that I'll be doing because money can be better spent in the electorate. Um, you know, a big topic today at this community meeting was uh, the, the health sector. Um, so I'm pretty sure for $55 million, we can repair our health sector in Port Stephens. I had an old lady telling me today that she called for an ambulance and they told her to get a taxi. What? Well, yeah, I've heard that. That's, that's just appalling. And it's not the first time I've heard it. I've heard it quite a bit. I've heard from another lady. Uh, she had to wait three hours at the the local hospital, Tomary Hospital, if you would call it that, um, to be told that a doctor can't see her and she's better off going to a John Hunter. Now, just so you know, John Hunter is probably an hour's drive into Newcastle. Yeah. That's crazy. And, yeah, it's and, ridiculous. Yeah, just to go back to the school, what you were talking about there, we had um, uh, Murit Anjay Singh on MK Singh uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the post-truth world where basically truth doesn't matter, it's all about emotion. And, and I think this is an issue. It's it's nice to say, oh, I'll build a new school and how great and wonderful is it going to be, but you yourself have, have stepped back and go, no, well, this doesn't make sense. What about the transport? What about the population? Is it blah, blah, blah. They're not actually looking at issues correctly. And it, and it goes the same thing with net zero. We know it's, all, we know well, it's not going to work, but it's a nice fuzzy idea that makes everyone feel happy and people just go along with it. Exactly right. And if you look at the data, we are 3,000 teachers short in the state of New South Wales, 3,000 teachers. 
So if they build a new school tomorrow, which won't happen, you'll, you'll probably lose $30 million in five years of planning. You know, they promised the school for 25 years, so probably will never get built. Um, but let's say they open a new school tomorrow. Where are they going to get the teachers? They're just not there. They don't have them. Then you've got Labor with this uh, policy of theirs. We're going to convert 10,000 full-time teachers. So they want to convert uh, teachers that are part-time and casual into full-time. Now, I don't know if you gentlemen have been out and spoken to a lot of teachers. I have. And a lot of them are quite happy uh, being casuals. Yep. Because they don't have to put up with the bureaucracy and uh, the, the, the paperwork and all that kind of stuff that goes on. So, um, but it's it's not just that. It, it look a lot. You know, let's just call call it how it is. A lot of teachers are female, and how many of those part time teachers are on maternity leave? Like they've just had a young a young child. They're not going to want to go to full time. Well, you know this. This particular scenario affects my family as well because my wife, uh, wife works in childcare. Yeah. And uh, the reason that she's no longer full-time in childcare is because when she was full-time, she couldn't do any, She couldn't go to anything that my daughter would go to. She couldn't go to the swimming carnival, sports carnival, uh, dancing, uh, anything like that. It was a hassle to take a day off. So yeah. when she went part-time, uh, she had that freedom to move around and yeah. actually take the days that she needed for her family because ultimately family is important. And if you, if you require uh, your, your father and the uh, mother to, to both be working, which is what's required these days with the yeah. uh, living pressures to put yeah. a roof over our heads, um, you know, you're taking away from being there for the child. So you need some sort of flexibility. At least one of the jobs needs to, to have that sort of flexibility. So you'll find that you know, normally the mother is the one uh, that would normally step back and take on that that role around the home. Yeah. And just with that, you said that there's New South Wales is 3,000 teachers short right now. Is that right? Was that 3,000? That's correct. So what they're going to do is they're going to convert the the casuals and part-timers into full-time. Okay? So, this, this, so we're already... This, this, this won't create... No, they're already understaffed. But they're already under, so they're already understaffed with the three thousand casuals they've got. They're going to turn those three thousand casuals into full time employees. But how are they going to still fill the three hundred three thousand gap? That's if they so want it. But the let's end. say let's say everybody we can just just hypothetically say all the teachers go yes we've been waiting for full time work we want we're going to jump onto it and we're going to take it. That's three thousand. That's three thousand casuals who are already filling positions as teachers. Okay, at right. the school, right? Now, you still, what happens is by converting those 3,000 into full-time teachers, you're still 3,000 short because you're not, you're not right. making 3,000 more teachers. You're only just converting what, what a teacher from part-time or casual to full-time. And it might fill a little and bit of the gap, but it's not filling the full gap. That's, that's very correct. And that's where people uh, need to really look into the policies of the other parties and really have a look at what they're voting for. So uh, Labor is very cloak and dagger in what they're saying. It all comes down to the wording. And the reality is um, they're saying, hey, we're going to give you teachers. But they're not telling you that they're not creating any more teacher positions. They're not recruiting any more teachers. They're already taking what's there and then putting it there and then claiming a victory. Yeah, and we'll know that. And then they'll go with 3,000 support staff teachers short. So then they're still short. Either you rob Peter to pay Paul, you're still short. 
You know, you can't, it, it yeah. just doesn't pay the bills at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like, so I agree with them. Um, I agree with that. And I love the, I like, I've been watching a lot of the language and stuff as well now. And Labor are really good, good with it. We're promising to plan for a hospital or we're promising <laughs> to plan for a whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a promise to plan. So anyone can promise to plan. I mean, I can promise to plan a vacation next year. I can promise to plan I'm going to get my electric car. I can promise to plan now, anything. Albert, you won an election on um, saying, I have a plan. We still don't know what that plan is. No. <laughs> hey, we know <laughs> what the plan is. The plan is the voice that no one bloody wants, okay? And then no what happens is, and no one knows what it is. And I keep saying this to I keep saying this to people. Okay, go to a go to a used car dealership, give them a blank check signed. Would you do that? Would you? Would anyone do that? Would anyone just go to a, a used car dealership and say, "Here's a blank check, and I'll sign it. You just give me a car, and you just tell me how much it's going to be." Right? You'd never do it. You would never do it. And this is this is this is what he is expecting the Australian people, right, to do. Is hey, I've got this thing called the Voice. It sounds really good. It looks really good. Um, it's going to help our Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders. And I'm not going to tell any of you guys at all of what it's going to do and how it's going to work. Well, they're just but banking on emotion. They're banking that people will just vote on, on emotion. On guilt. On white guilt. See, for what? It's a, it's a Trojan horse, and we need to be careful of it because uh, Labor in New South Wales, Labor, they're already talking about if they get into power, they will be legislating a voice in the New South Wales Parliament. Yeah, they're already doing it in South yeah. Australia. Yeah, South Australia, they've, they've already done it. Now, was, how, thank God we've got Sarah, we... uh, Sarah Game down there, and at least she's put her hand up saying, hey, no for this. But keep going, Mark, sorry. That's that's correct. Uh, I, I think voters really need to ask themselves, are the people that they've sent there to represent them, are they really representing them? And, uh, you know, I, I think if we can uh, word this in thought, uh, provocative language, we get people thinking and asking the questions that they need to ask. And uh, you, you'll find a lot of people, um, they, once you pose these questions to them, they really think hard, especially these hardcore Labor supporters. Once you put it across to them and say, Labor is not the party for the worker anymore. Labor mm. does not care for the everyday Australian. They will listen to you. Once you tell them that, you know, liberals are not there for your, for your small business, for your family business, they're not. They don't care about you. What I find from talking to people on the ground and door knocking and dropping off flyers and just talking to people on the street is that Liberal and Labor do not care. Yeah. No, they're, they're not listening at all. I just want to shoot over to last weekend you had the launch for the Hunter candidates and uh, Mark Latham was up there to give a press conference with all of you. You all spoke and I was blown away with how you spoke, Mark. It came across very well. We're just going to play it now quickly so we can uh, even hear you speak. Thanks, uh, Quentin. And our candidate for the seat of Port Stephens is uh, Mark Watson, local business person in the hospitality sector and uh, himself a successful member of the community. Mark. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. Um, so, you know, we're, One Nation's the only party that's going to tackle the issues in, in our, our community. So in Port Stephens, we have a crime issue. Um, we, we want to employ more magistrates and have a review of the sentencing system. Uh, to bring it in line with community expectations. Not only that, I stand opposed to Kate Washington's pet project of the school in Medowie. Simple reason is we need to be responsible with our money. The state is $182 billion in debt and empty promises have been thrown around. 
They've been promised for 25 years. However, this isn't saying we're against schools. We would like to update the existing schools in our network and double the amount of transport to make sure our children are attending those schools. Also, the money can be better spent upgrading Tomaree Hospital, improving the budget, getting the staff there, and looking after the citizens that need to attend it. As it stands, some members of the community have to travel over an hour just to receive specialist care. One Nation will address these problems and we will stand up and we will put the fight to the major parties. Thank you. And our candidate for the seat of Walls ended. So uh, congratulations, Mark. That was, that was very concise, straight to the point, straight on policy. You raised law and order. Can you just touch on that a little bit now, just explain what the situation is in Port Stephens when it comes to law and order? Yeah, no worries. Um, so I've had a lot of concerned citizens reach out to me, uh, especially for Lemon Tree Passage and uh, Tenorba Bay, normally the uh, forgotten part, you could say, of the bay. Um, and a lot of them are concerned with uh, crime. Um, it is an issue. Uh, the, the standing member, she denies that there is an issue. Uh, we had a community meeting before Christmas when over 130 people attended uh, from throughout the community, uh, concerned with their well-being and concerned with their safety. Uh, the police came along to that and, you know, the police are doing the best they can with the resources they've got. And they are well-resourced across the region. Um, they do have a quick response time. Um, they do have a police station down there, which isn't manned 24-7. Um, they think that there isn't a, a requirement for it, but... Yeah, that may be moving forward. Um, but I've been in contact with Rob Roberts about the issues that are down there, and since then we've had some uh, progress, and uh, we've spoken to the police union and found out ways that we could offer assistance. Um, where the issue lies, and uh, especially in Tenilba Bay, I've knocked on uh, quite a few doors down there where every single house has told me stories about their homes being broken into, uh, cars being stolen, people uh, threatened, um, uh, Burnouts being done, trees set on fire, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on. The uh, local church op shop down there got bricks thrown through the windows. Um, and it seems to be a youth problem. Um, uh, you hear about it in Alice Springs, you know, they kind of try to, you know, push the blame. But the reality is there's, there's no strong deterrent in place. Uh, so over the New Year's period, they arrested three teenagers. Uh, which were back down the street the next day boasting about the fact that they got let off uh, for, for breaking and entering. Uh, so, you know, I, I talked to the residents down there about our law and order policies, which are quite firm, quite strong, and uh, it, it's what we need, and a lot of them do agree with it. And the reality is, yes, the police are doing a great work, but we need stronger magistrates. Uh, we need to build more courthouses, and we need a reform and sentencing system to bring it in line with community expectations. Now, if you're a 13-year-old and you're breaking to a home with a weapon and you're stealing a vehicle and you're driving off with it, you know what you're doing. You are criminally responsible. We've got yep. parties out there that want to lower the age of criminality from 14 yep. to, uh, sorry, raise it from 10 to 14. Uh, but the reality is, if you're under 14 and you're driving a vehicle and you've just stolen it using a weapon, you know what you're doing. I know a police officer up here that can't work anymore. He hasn't gone back to work because he had to take mental health leave after taking injury leave because his patrol vehicle was rammed by a stolen vehicle driven by a 14-year-old. Yeah. And it's, it's quite disgraceful. So, so we, we, we've got politicians and, we, and you know, we've got liberals uh, out there saying that there isn't an issue, 
the reality is there is an issue. We have an issue with our court system. We need stronger sentencing and we need a deterrent so that these children or adults are not going out there and repeating the same crimes over and over again. Now, you might get the Greens or the left come out and say, well, you know, this is a harsh approach. It's just going to create systemic uh, criminality. No, it's not. If you, if you go out there and you commit a crime and you go before a judge and he says to you, if I see you here again, I will put you in jail, I guarantee you, the majority of children will look at that and go, geez, I better not do that again. Yeah. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And where are the parents? Where are the parents? I know if I did that, my father would give me a good old hiding say, old mum, I'd be like, oh, geez, better not do that again. Yeah, exactly right. There's always something to, there's always, you know, putting blame on something or someone else, you know, like they always cry foul with, you know, mental health issues or they always fight, cry. And I'm not saying that they don't have mental health issues, but there are people out there who have mental health issues who are able to live according to society standards that we've, you know, come to know and love and respect, right? So how is it, how, what is it? It's a slap in the face to them because they might have, you know, personality disorders, you know, bipolar and all these different, you know, dis- uh, like, you know, diseases um, or mental health issues, right? And they tend to live, you know, on the straight and narrow path and they do the grind. And then you have, you'll have some 13-year-old kid go and flog a car, stop traffic, glue himself to a wall or a street and say, hey, it's mental health, you know, and then get off for that. Like, you know, so I know that our policy with, uh, with law and order is going to tighten up on the whole mental health um, factor. And, um, well, you know, the way, and, the way, the way yeah. you have to paint the picture is if, if that kid or that young teenager or, or adult breaks into an elderly person's home, puts a knife to their throat and steals their vehicle and then gets out claiming mental health issues, what about the victim? Yeah. What about them? How yeah. have they been affected? They're scared. I've got residents down there in Tanilba Bay sleeping with baseball bats under their beds because they live in fear. And then we have our local sitting member say that there isn't a crime issue. I would like her to come down. I challenge her to go to these residents and tell them there isn't a crime issue. Yeah. Well, they'll yeah, pull yeah. a bat out and bonk, her on the head, bonk them on the head, right? That's <laughs> Wake up, boom. <laughs> Honestly, you know. But you, you brought up Rod Roberts, and for people that don't know, Rod Roberts is in the upper house alongside Mark Latham. We currently have the two One Nation upper house members. And he was a detective with over 20 years' experience. He's actually been down in Goulburn, Goulburn teaching uh, detectives as well. He's written our law and order policy, and it, has a strong focus on victims because I'm sure he is well aware in, in you know, coming from his uh, police career, how crime impacts victims. And uh, who uh, we were speaking to someone recently where there was, a, there was a bit of a crime wave and kids smashed up seven cars mm-hmm. in the area and the kid just got a slap on the wrist. But what about the oh, seven Belinda. victims? Was it yeah, yeah, Belinda in Penrith. Um, and, and she was speaking about that. In one of the streets, the kids came through, smashed up the windscreens of seven cars and then just got a slap on the wrist for it and probably walked away and went to the next street the next night to break in some, into some more cars. But what about the victims? No one ever thinks about them. No, no, and, you know, you might say, oh, it's just a smashed windscreen. Well, that costs money. And what happens if that father was 
saving that money to buy a birthday present for his daughter or something like that. These things need yeah. to be taken to it into account. How do you feel about victims and and of crime and, and do we, we we need more of a focus on the victims? Well, it's time that we take these things seriously. And yes, we do need to, to focus more on the victims. So these criminals are getting away uh, with, with these crimes and they're getting a slap on the wrist and they're back out there doing it again. So we need deterrence, we need stronger magistrates and like I mentioned earlier, we need a reform of our sentencing system to bring punishment in line with community expectations. Yes, yeah, definitely. And we're going to pull, try to pull back on the old, um, you know, bracelets and um, what do you call it, a home home prison and all that kind of stuff as well. That's part of it as well, I believe, is pulling, what's it called? What's it, what do you call it when you're at home prison? I'm, I'm, I'm detention. Home I'm detention just... with the bracelets and stuff yeah. like that. So basically the kids, you know, with all the modern cons and all the mod cons today, you know, the kids, kids are sitting at home getting Uber Eats delivered to their house or the, even the adults or all the perpetrators, perpetrators in general. They can be sitting at home and never have to leave the house playing PlayStation and whatnot with their foot up on the table with their little bracelet blinking um, and get everything come to well, their house like they're not even in prison. You, you, you would probably find majority of the time if you had strong deterrence in place, that would be enough to stop majority of these yeah. children uh, actually committing these crimes. Yeah. Uh, if, if you go before a judge and, you know, maybe you get one warning, you know, and that warning is if I see you back here uh, re- repeating the same crime, you will be locked up. Now, that's a deterrent, but, you know, and we all, we all understand that children do make mistakes and they do play up and they do do silly things. Uh, but if they're before a judge and that judge says for them, if I see you here again, you will be locked up. That is a deterrent. And hopefully that's enough for them to look at it and go, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah. I'll, I'll think twice. Self-assess. Have a look at their, have a look at where they want to be and what they want to do and um, make the right, maybe make a better decision next time. Because you got to think too, they're not doing small crimes. It's not like you're going to a magistrate for stealing some, you know, a, a, a ten, a five dollar bag of lollies or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's it's not a, it's not a small. We're talking about like armed robbery. We're talking about breaking into somebody's house and threatening their physical well being, and then taking their car or you know or whatever it is. You know, it's taking their possessions. I mean, that's not. A minor crime like that is a serious crime that needs to be treated seriously and the perpetrator right. should be treated um it should be treated that way and punished accordingly and what happens is and let and not actually because let's let's face it the 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 perpetrator has punished the victim by making them scared in their homes like you're saying with bats under their beds and things like that so these people are living in fear which in in sense is a form of punishment already okay yeah, so what happens right. is if the if the if the uh, you know law enforcement if the judges if the magistrates let let these kids off or these young people or perpetrators off, then what happens is um, you know you, the the people who the victims are getting punished even further, whereas the victims get off scot free. Oh, sorry, the perpetrators get off scot free and go and do it again. And I agree with you totally, and I agree with the policies of of One Nation. We need to strengthen those. Um, and I like the idea of you know a judge giving somebody a warning, especially a young a youth saying, hey, like if you do this again, you're going to end up in this place and this place is not a very good place for somebody like you. And that person then turns around and goes, well, you know what, maybe I'll go join a sport or a weekend sport or something like that, right? And then, then like, you know, and then hopefully that the, the, the government of the day or the, the sitting member has um, instilled other things for 
for these kids to get up to, you know, like, you know, some recreation areas and some, and some sporting facilities that are up to par so that they can actually, you know, make it, make a go of it. And, you know, we do, we do have good um, uh, church groups in the area that are kind of taking action and, and, you know, creating the environment uh, and the activities there to, to keep the children busy and off the streets. Uh, but, you know, they do, they do require more assistance. Um, I've spoken to quite a few of them and they receive very little assistance. So it would be nice to, to see that improved. Yeah, definitely. Now, we've spoken to uh, Quinton King previously. We haven't had a chance to spill, uh, speak to Neil or Pietro yet, but you're, you guys are like the, the I don't know, the, what you would call, I was going to say the four amigos, but <laughs> the four main... We call, you the, the, the we call them the team. Newcastle crew, the Hunter crew. The Hunter crew? No, we call them the Hunter team. The Hunter team? <laughs> All right, so the, yeah. the four of you in the Hunter team. Now, Quinton was big on coal. I know that, um, that Neil works in a mine as well or has done. What's the situation up in Port Stephens? Does it have a strong mining community? Obviously, net zero is a big part of your focus. Uh, but what does Port Stephens differ a little bit to the other areas around Cessnock, uh, Maitland and all those Walls End type of areas, or was it very similar? Yeah, so so it, it, it differs. It is, it is quite different to um, Cessnock or, or Maitland or the Upper Hunter there where it's uh, heavily focused around... Uh, your mining uh, jobs as such. Um, we do have a little bit of overflow uh, from those areas into our, um, into our region. Um, we do have the manufacturing side of things, so uh, Tomago falls into our area. So we've got Tomago Smelter. Um, you guys would know Dale McNamara there with um, PPK Mining. Um, so we do have a lot of uh, manufacturing on the outskirts of town. Um, other than that, we're more of a holiday location as such um, so we're, we're right on the water uh, for, for the main part of it uh, and we do have the raft base there as well um, so if, if you're looking at energy um, where, where it affects our region is uh, it, it's more so your everyday household so especially through places throughout Medowie and Raymond Terrace um, you know you've got a lot of young families that, that will be doing it tough and then you know, when you get out closer to the water, obviously things are more expensive, uh, properties more expensive, uh, mortgages are higher. Um, so energy plays a huge factor in it, and the reality is net zero, uh, you just have to have a look at it. It's driving prices up. It's not bringing prices down. And, you know, I'm out there door knocking. I've run the occasional person that tells me that solar panels are great, you know, that they hardly pay an electricity bill, and I look at them and go, that's great, mate. I'm glad that you were able to afford that, but... Yeah, us guys, you're on a minimum wage. We're struggling. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Yeah, if you can afford it and have it on your house, fantastic. But what about everyone else? But you're subsidising oh, it anyway. The taxpayer is subsidising yeah. it anyway. Because oh, you're love, feeding in... You're feeding in... Put on the roof. No, but you're you're feeding in... So they're feeding in energy into the grid, right? Yeah. So what happens is... And then they're... they're Basically, the if you're using solar energy, you're using less of coal and all that kind of stuff, right? So they're not really making as much money. So the energy company is not going to lose money. So what happens is the taxpayer subsidizes the losses that the um, that the energy companies lose. Anyway, isn't that is that not how that works? I, I 
You know, why would the energy companies be pushing solar panels onto people's roofs when they're going to lose money? Look, the reality is New South Wales used to have some of the cheapest electricity in the world, and now we're up there with some of the most expensive electricity in the world. But the reality is, and this is what our policy says as well, is we need a strong mix of nuclear, gas, um, renewables as well. Um, but we've, uh, we need to have it. We need coal, we need gas, we need nuclear, and we need to, you know, let the market decide whether we need those renewables. Yeah. Um, we need to, at the, at the moment, there's a supply and demand issue, so we need supply. Um, they're shutting off power faster than uh, what they can uh, get establishments online generating. Uh, they think that some windmills are going to mm. fix it. They think some solar panels are going to fix it, but it's not the case. Uh, so in our policy, we're, mm. we're going to build another firming uh, gas peaking plant. Uh, we need that because when... Yeah, when the lights start going out, we need to be able to turn power on, we need to be able to turn it on quickly. And the only source of energy that can do that is gas. Yeah, you know, we're a gas-rich uh, country, we're a gas-rich rich, uh, uh, state, um, we've got an abundance of coal. Uh, there's no reason why we can't be looking at nuclear, um, you know, and if, if, if they still want their renewables, well, hey, let them have it if it's going to make them feel warm and cosy. But I'll tell you, I don't want a windmill out, in, uh, out uh, on the view of the bay I'd rather put it right in their backyard, right where the Greens want it. If, you know, yeah. if they want it, they can have it in their backyard. How about that? Yeah, and then it's perfectly fine, no issue. And if it, if it you know, catches on fire and burns down their house, that's that's on them. Well, but. you know, at least we'll be able to spot a greenie if there's a massive uh, wind turbine in their backyard. We'll, we'll know exactly where they are. Oh, yeah, they'll be hugging it as well. But if everyone thinks <laughs> that we're trying to fear monger with, you know, talking about blackouts and, and whatever, it's in the internal, it's in the New South Wales government's internal documents where they're predicting blackouts uh, in 2025 and 2026 when you close down the, the power stations up in Liddell and, and places like that. So it's not fear mongering. The government's own internal documents are predicting this. So blackouts yeah. are coming if they keep going down this path. Well, you know, if, if your demand for power is here and your output's here and then you, all of a sudden you drop that output down here without increasing it, you might increase it a little bit, but then it'll drop down and then a little bit and then drop down. And your demand is still here. If anything, demand's increasing. Uh, you know, something's got to give. That's what people don't understand. If we don't have the facilities to be able to fire up quickly, uh, such as your gas-fired um, power stations, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, that's right. And, and the problem is, it's it's going to take it's going to take something like that for, for people to be aware of um, you know the dire situation that we're in. So, yes, they're coming, um, and when they do, you know, I hope people will look back and go, "Well, geez, maybe we should have listened to One Nation." Well, that's right. Well, One Nation in New South Wales, you know, under Mark Latham and Rod Roberts, they got the um, those papers that you were talking about. Exposing that the um, energy uh, we're going to have energy failures and blackouts by uh, end of 2024, 2025, by the closure of Araring and oh sorry Liddell. I think Liddell's closing first, and then Araring's going to come. Yeah, yeah. So Liddell's Liddell's this year, and then by 2025, Araring's going. Um, and they said they've, they've predicted blackouts in all their paperwork and all their documentation through the Freedom of Information Act. Um, where we recovered the documents and and got and and painstakingly, they uh, Mark uh, Latham and Rod Roberts painstakingly went through them. It showed that they, their their paperwork is showing that they're going to have um, blackouts as well. So, the problem with renewables 
or I call them fake renewables. I try to get language better because they're not really renewable. I've always said, and, you know, we've always said sun don't shine and wind don't blow and all that stuff, but the sun's free or the sunshine is free and the wind is free. But to convert them to dispatchable baseload energy is not free. And that's where the problem lies. So everyone can go, yeah, but the wind's free. Well, it is free. But then to build the turbine, to turn the tur to turbine, turn a generator to produce the energy, that's not free. And that's not renewable. You know, that's a hidden, it's, it's a hidden cost, right? Um, not to mention that the mining with all the, you know, all the special cadmium and cobalt and all this other stuff that they use in them, okay? And then we've, we've also interviewed, um, as you would know, um, Professor Ian Plymer. You know, he's talking about bipenthesol A. That's in the. It's, it's the chemical in the in in the in the fiberglass um, resin that binds everything together. Now that um, one one rotor blade from a windmill will go if that ended in the, ended up into the water as it breaks down. That will ruin ten million liters of water. So imagine all those propellers that are up there. I just I was just down in Canberra this morning and I've just driven back. And we just drove past Crookwell, and there's so you, you can't believe the amount of wind farm. Like uh, there's even on the other side now on the George's Basin, whatever it's called, where that water comes up and down. That on the other side, there's even windmills and stuff down there. So sometimes they're turning, half are turning, half are not turning. One had propellers missing, you know. Like it was kind of just like all over the place. Not to mention, personally, I kind of like the glory of man and their constructions. I like you know the stuff that man made, but. They weren't adding to the the look the eye the sky the um the eye line of the um of the Crookwell um, ranges there. So I thought it was pretty ugly. But um yeah, with um with the renewables, it doesn't put energy into the system, and it only puts it in when it's ready. So you can't control it at all. Whereas with coal fire, you can you know slow it down and and speed it up pretty pretty reasonably. You know, it's yeah. constant. Right, yeah. and that's with the gas peaking. Well, you know, obviously we follow your Facebook and, and everything and you are always out on the ground. You've always got your, your orange shirt on or you're speaking to people or you're at an event somewhere. How do you keep the pace? How do you keep the motivation to just get out there and keep campaigning and, and to get your name out there? So I'll tell this story to quite a lot of people. It's a um, simple fact that I've got a daughter, I, I love her and I worry about her future. And then I look at it and I go, okay, well, you know, I look at what's ahead of us and it's, um, you know, with what's going on, how am I going to put a roof over her head? How am I going to make sure that she's got a job, make sure that she's got a proper education? How am I going to look after the cost of living? You know, so all these things that I worry about. And then I look at the people around me and they're all in similar situations and I'm like, well, geez, I've got to fight for them as well. I'm going to make sure that they've got a job, make sure the cost of living is good, make sure that they can turn on the lights. I look after my neighbour, I look after the people down the street, look after the people that I work with. So it's all driving factors, but it all comes back down to my family. And it's wanting to do better for the community. So I'm more than happy to get up there and go out there and, and stand up and fight for them. And One Nation is the only party that listens and will actually do something in the community and will actually make some positive change and will stand in opposition and ask those tough questions. We're the only party that will do that. And these are driving factors because, like I was saying earlier, you've got Liberal and Labor, they're just steering one way. So someone needs to stand there and say, well, hold on a second. You know, how is that going to help with all those things that I just listed? How is the voice going to help with the cost of living, the cost of energy, 
the cost of fuel? How's it going to help with mortgage rates, um, inflation? How's it going to help with education, some of the fasting school, uh, falling school results in the world? How is the voice going to help with that? How is some of the legislation that they, that they want to pass? How is, um, you know, uh, a $225 million resilience program in Western Sydney going to help the whole state dealing with these living pressures? You know, a resilience program. They want to spend $225 million on a resilience program when they're $182 billion in debt. This is labour, mind you. You know, how does that help the small business? It doesn't. So that gives me the energy to keep out, uh, getting out there. Um, and it, it's good because I'm getting a great response. Um, I'm getting phone calls, uh, messages, emails all the time. I'm getting new people coming forward. And I hope they keep coming forward because I want to make a positive change for the community. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely great to see. Now, if people are watching this and say, "Hey, I want to I want to help out Mark. I want to I want to be part of his team." How can they contact you if they want to volunteer? So, best point of contact is email, uh, which is Port Stevens at nsw one nation dot org dot au. That's it. We'll put it up uh, on the screen. You can, yeah, or you can shoot me a message um, via Facebook. Uh, quite active on Facebook all the time. Um, drop me a comment. I can get in contact with you if you like, or you can send me a message on it uh, and I'll reply. Uh, they're probably the best. Uh, otherwise, I've got my campaign phone number on the on the Facebook there. Um, you can give us a call, send us a message. I'll try to get back to you as quick as I can. I'm always up for a, for a coffee or a beer, depending on the time of the day. Um, but, you know, come and tell me your stories and um, I'd, I'd love to hear them and I'll, I'll get out there and I'll fight for you. And I know you've usually got something scheming in the, in the background. Do you have any big events coming up or uh, some meet and greets or is there any where that you, people yeah, you well, be able to see if you're out and about? We just had the monthly meeting uh, yesterday and um, had a community meeting today in the Dowie. Uh, there's always uh, something uh, brewing. Um, I've got a couple of things that are top secret at the moment. <laughs> That's because I haven't finished planning them yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, there, there's there, there's always we're always working on something. We're always looking for opportunities to do something, whether it be a a, a show or a barbecue or or a meeting or some sort of public event. Uh, something always springs up. Um, we we do post it up there whenever we're going anywhere. Um, and you know we we'll, we'll put as much notice as we can, but we try to get out there and uh, as much as we can and listen to what people have to say. Yeah. I will wish you all the best, Mark. I hope you do really well. You de you definitely deserve to do well. I know you don't always get what you deserve in politics, but I know you're putting the work in. And Adam and I, we've been, you know, obviously we're in the same path as you are. We entered politics around the federal election and we've just seen you just get better and better and better in the way you speak and the way you uh, get out there and communicate your message to people. So thank you very much for thanks, coming man. on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your dedication, Mark. Thanks, Adam. You too. Cheers. Yeah, if, if you've really enjoyed this episode, episode, please share it out to everyone and uh, we'll see you next time.